Podcasting live from San Jose, California. It is the Dead Bod Rap Pod. My name is Damone Carter, aka Dim One. I'm joined by my man, David Ma. What's happening, bro? Yo, good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Awesome, awesome. Good to have you here. Uh, he's like, and there's no further questions. <laughs> All right, you guys have a good one. <laughs> Leave meeting. Uh, love it, love it. I uh, also Nate LeBlanc in the building. What's What's up? Up? Hello, America. A few people in the UK and Canada. <laughs> we got a. Um, I think we have a. I almost said Neanderthals. What do you call somebody from the, the Netherlands? Whoa. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, let me play this out. That doesn't sound right. Easy, Netherlanders. Nader- we have a, Nederlanders. We have a couple of Ned Flanders. Sexy Flanders. Yeah. Shout out to everybody around the world tapping into the Dad Boy Rap Podcast. Appreciate your continued patronage. And we are here today. We are gathered here today uh, to talk about an album that I am on record of saying didn't think was going to come out, uh, came out. We had a chance to digest it, think about it for a little bit. Uh, Nate LeBlanc, tell the people why we are not part of the hot take economy. Uh, why did we, why did we sit on this for like three weeks? Okay. First of all, we were busy that weekend. We went out of town <laughs> on that weekend, so we didn't really have a chance to absorb it in the way we might otherwise have. Second of all, this is really, I mean, it's a lot of record. It's a it's yeah. specifically yeah. a double record. Uh, it's so. It, I think this record would have benefited from the fit, like being released physically, or I guess me interacting with it physically, and mm-hmm. like thinking of the two halves mm-hmm. as different records a little bit more than I do. Okay. It's just a playlist, right? Or like it's just lines on a screen. So I was actually sitting here, kind of listening to it as a prep for today, and I was like, "Oh, this is where it ends." I didn't realize. Oh, that. and then the I was other listening part to it. And so it's, it ends with the Ghostface and Summer Walker song. Like, that's the end of album one. One, okay. And then the, so that's Mr. Morale, I suppose. And then the yeah. big steppers come. And so it'd be interesting to think of them as more like different things. It just sound like one big, long, jumbly, emotional thing to me when I first took it in. So we just needed some time to sit with it. And I think we yeah. gave ourselves some time to sit with it. We're not so worried about being current or like having the the freshest take on release day for we'll do that for things more in our world but for a big record like this that's long and complicated i think we wanted to take our time and generate some thoughts before we talked and i'm i'm happy we did honestly yeah it's it's always good to actually take time to absorb music that's so that's so passe these days but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we uh we are grateful to have the kind of time and so let's let's get into it um i asked the bros to uh, highlight a track. Let's start there. Highlight a track off this album that really struck you, either good or bad. Um, and with that, I am dying to know what Dave has to say about <laughs> We Cry Together. I listen to songs, Dave, just so you know. Let me give you a preamble. I listen to songs sometimes and be like, I wonder what Dave thinks about this. <laughs> Especially when I, they're um, singing. Um, that I mean, that song specifically, I mean, we cry together. I mean, I think it also means that the audience who's listening is crying while you're listening. <laughs> while you're, uh, <laughs> while you're listening. Um, I, I like the album. Um, I felt like it was an, an event. You know what I mean? Um, I think people aren't really discussing it because there's just so much to unpack. Um, the album is about trauma, you know, societal yeah. and personal. So yeah. uh, the track We Cry Together, I, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, is produced by Alchemist. So um, yes, I, yes. I think the track exemplifies this. I mean, not because it's just not because it's my favorite song or anything, but I mean, it shows how emotional the album is. And um, the song is messy. You know, it's back and mm-hmm. forth. It's not something you want to you, you want to re-listen to. It's like watching uh, Schindler, Schindler's List or something. It's brilliant, mm-hmm. but you don't want to return to that headspace. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, the song is messy because relationships are messy. So yeah. I really thought I really thought they did a killer job of just 
banging your head on, on, on the subject matter. And, you know, at this point, I think um, Kendrick is a catalog artist. So every new release, um, you're kind of seeing where it fits in the, into the pantheon of his body of work. You know what I mean? So um, uh, if you want an, an ensemble jazz album where his voice is the lead instrument, that's to pimp a butterfly. You know, you want yeah. him to bar the fuck out. That's damn. And so yeah. this this offers this is just like I mean I hate using this word but it's like a cinematic um, album of just trauma and and um, and emotion. So the, like I said, there's a lot to unpack, and I think We Cry Together totally exemplifies it. Right. It's dramatic for me to listen to. I'll tell you that. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's not a banger. It's not like you're trying yeah. to bump it on a car ride. You know. Totally. I don't know if you guys have seen it. This tweet goes viral every few weeks or so. They're like, oh, I of course I right when the people pull up at the stoplight i'm listening to a podcast (laughs) (laughs) you know it used to be a trip in movies like people would be like banging their music now it's like next on npr Um, yeah um yeah you and i have talked about this off air dave and i i I appreciate your take and i think it, it is so interesting to think of it in the kendrick cinematic universe but like I did not enjoy listening to this song, and I do not ever plan on listening to this. Song. <laughs> this is Kendrick's Edward Albee play. This is like whatever happened to Virginia Woolf, like compressed down into a rap song, if you want to call it that. Um, it's I find it very hard to listen to, and I think it's one of the two songs where I'm like, I'm not in a huge hurry to go back and listen to this yeah. album and take yeah. it all in, because like, I mean, I have enough of my own problems like i don't really totally. need to like, dip into this marital <laughs> strife at this moment but the way that it's constructed i completely agree is very cinematic very real yeah and uh it was actually funny we talked about this at like kind of a social gathering and half the people were like i don't get it why does it end with the couple having sex and the people have been married for a long time <laughs> I, was was like, say, yeah. I don't right. know if you know this but that's how life is so exactly that's, exactly that's what happened and that was that was a pretty that was like a a real crystallization that like Kendrick has tapped into something here. And totally. I think some people conduct their relationships where they let it fly and they let the emotions out and they really go at each other. And then they have Congress, if you will. And some people <laughs> repress things and, you know, sleep on the couch that night or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Miss so, out you- on makeup sex. Yeah, yeah, there's, totally. two, there's two, there's two <laughs> camps of folks there. Um, yeah. I, I, I heard we cry together and, um, I was really intrigued for like 90 seconds to about two, <laughs> two minutes. I felt like, yes, I get the concept. I see what y'all doing. This is well put together in a weird, bizarre way. It reminds me of uh, when E-40 would do the um, the back and forth with, I think her name was like Sally Stacker Grip. And they would go back and forth by trading <laughs> insults. Um, I think that's on Holly Game or one of those records. Uh, and so, yeah, as it kind of worked for me as like a skit, but then they they really just... All the crying, right? Which is which is real because as anybody in a relationship knows that like the argument is never is never uh, succinct or as brief as you might want it to be. So um, it's basically it's kind of unflinching. And like after a right, while, I right. just it was it was hard for me to uh, to keep tapping in. But I will say this: uh, I heard the beat. Of course, it's Alchemist. Um, I wanted to hear Ghostface on that beat. Mm, mm. I think the summer walker jam is is cool. It's cool. I'm back. Those faces included. But when the beat dropped, I was like, I kind of misread it, and I was like, Oh, this has to be the track with Ghostface, and like mm. it wasn't, and it was a screaming, crying argument. Too what soon. If Ghostface played the marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys oh, ever listen to that thing? It came with his book, I think, or it came out around <laughs> one of his albums where he just like gives advice and he's totally. talking about like the Raymond Noodles and stuff, like yes. uh, the world according to Pretty Tony. Yes, yeah, I really yeah. never listen to that. Like me, when oh, I that would be so my DJ bros. We would listen to that all the time and like quote it and stuff. Like I totally remember that. That era of that Ghostface man. should be the marriage counselor. This is a we're just re-executive producing the album. <laughs> 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 Ghostface as the marriage counselor. That would be um, not only a great song, like I'd watch 13 episodes of that. Just different <laughs> people bringing their problems to Big Ghost. Um, all right, Nate, what uh, what track did you want to highlight? All right. Um, I, I think I'm pronouncing this right. I don't see any other way to say it, unless it's just that line thing that separates things. But I believe the track is called Mother I Sober. Yeah. Um, and it's the penultimate uh, song on the second record and mainly the reason that I wanted to bring it up is um, I think it's kind of the emotional conclusion of the record it leaves it in a pretty dark place and also like 
what a huge flex to get Beth Gibbons totally on a rap yeah. song. It's not like yeah. the soaring, uh, you know, like uh, live at Roseland uh, depths of the soul, Beth Gibbons. It's kind of a quiet, hushed, older uh, Beth Gibbons. Um, I have no idea if that was cut down from tons of minutes, whether she recorded over the speed. I don't, I mean, we'll have to wait for the documentary find out how this went down but um she's such an important voice uh Portis said is such important music it's very cool to see Kendrick reach back for that like I think slightly differently because of the geography but kind of like how he reached for a DJ quick on good kid mad city it's mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, show yeah. people where this comes from a little bit I or think kick having, capri on on them yeah, right. yeah, yeah and him yeah. having Ghostface yeah. is yeah plays a similar role and I'm thinking about this a little bit differently because my nephew is really into this record and mm-hmm. him and I have been texting about it a little bit and we talked about it a little bit at a family function and we're actually going to go see Kendrick together. Hey, um, I nice. got tickets for us to go in August. So I'm really wondering if my perceptions of the album are going to change seeing mm. it performed. Because like, how do you perform something like this? Totally. Like, is he bringing the actress from Zola on the tour and he's going to argue with her every night? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So um, yeah, I just, I think this, um, if you, if you like, we're assigned to this record as homework as we kind of assigned it to ourselves this week as homework and you needed to get the cliff notes of what the yeah. entire record is about. You could listen yeah. to these six minutes and 43 seconds and kind of get the ideas of what Dave already really brilliantly laid out of like both the emotional and personal and cyclical family traumas that Kendrick mm. is dealing with. And I really think he felt, and I'm, this is a little bit, you know, armchair psychology. I think he felt people were putting him up too much on a pedestal and he really mm-hmm. wanted to show people how human he is and how ma- many foibles he has. And mm. that is at work in this as well. So interesting song. And again, just huge executive production flex. Absolutely. Dave, what, what were your thoughts? Dave, you uh, sober? <laughs> <laughs> Barely. Um, <laughs> California sober. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. I, I loved it, and what a pleasant surprise to hear uh, Beth Gibbons. You know what I mean? Um, she just uh, she always has such a a symmetry to her vocals. I, I'm not I'm not sure if that's the the accurate description, but that's how I feel. And um, it was perfect. And like Nate said, I thought it was an awesome flex to have her. And you know, it's not like he chose. I don't know. Um, so it's some other vocalist. It's like he chose fucking Portishead Beth Gibbons, who brings this like somber you know, feel to everything. So I yeah. thought, I thought it was a perfect sort of undertone to everything. Yeah. It, it was a, to my eye and ear, a great get, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's something that even on a track list, you're like, ah, totally. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's that hip. He understands how, how cool it would be to have. Um, with that being said, I was a little bit like, oh, where's the Beth Gibbons? My like, mother, mother, I somber. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, <laughs> got got her to murmur a little bit. It was it was all right. Um, but yeah, definitely kind of that emotional crescendo. And um, mm. you know, I think the movie analogy is apt, Dave, in the sense that like, yeah, it kind of like when it did end, I kind of like exhaled. Like, yeah. Whew, yeah. All right. right. I mean, kind it's of, supposed to be a tough listen. You know what I mean? So it yeah, just means yeah. it's effective. Yeah, accomplished. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I think I would say this about any double album, but the first time I listened to it, I was relieved when it was over. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah. okay, like I need right. to like clear my head. I need to like listen to something totally different now. Like I need to absorb this. Like mm-hmm. it, it's nice for someone to like, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I think uh Damone in the a couple episodes ago, we did something mm-hmm. on the heart part five songs yes. mm-hmm. briefly um before the record had dropped, and it's like to see the world come to a screeching halt to right. take in this right. record by this person is really fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to say some kind of mean things about it in a minute, but like, this is really high level, well-made, well-crafted yeah. hip hop music. It's deeply yeah. lyrical hip hop music. That's what we mm-hmm. all love. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, and I, <laughs> but uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, the, the track that I wanted to talk about, I'm actually going to pull audible here. The, the track that I'm actually going to talk about is uh, Worldwide Steppers, um, which uh, early in the album and kind of was the first track on the album that got me going like, okay, now we're starting. Now it's going. <laughs> this is what we're doing. We're, we're into this now. Um, like he left the therapist's office and he put yeah. on the radio in his car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's kind of he's vibing out now. He's, he's, uh, he's giving you kind of, um, you know, 
Kendrick flexing his his high speed craft works um, on a beat without on a track without um, drums. Really, I love how mm -hmm. the sample it's kind of RZA esque um, kind of guitar trap thing. It sounds like uh, that moves the beat along. But Kendrick's voice is so percussive um, as it is. I really like this track, and there were a couple of other tracks where he's just kind of rapping to piano. Um, or he's just rapping over strings and you're like, okay, uh, this is a kind of a new and different direction for him and showing that he's open to, you know, different types of palettes and things. So I, I thought Worldwide Steppers was like the first track, the closest thing to a bop that we're getting <laughs> on this record. This is as close as you get to like, um, you know, King Kunta uh, type energy on this record and so I it, it made me excited to to kind of hear that um and then the album kind of doesn't necessarily really get back to that vibe so much but I, I really I really like the song of Worldwide Steppers. So well, how are you guys feeling about the album overall or like where would you kind of put it in Kendrick's discography at this point? Uh, I think uh, I go back to Damn probably the most because it's you know probably the uh, filled with bops as uh, <laughs> and it's not like a deeply emotional listen that like hurts your soul but right. um, again like I mentioned earlier he's a catalog artist so I mean I mean th this is I don't think it's his last album but he's talking about retirement and stuff but this would be quite the bookend you know interesting yeah. if interesting. you looked at it as one story and you'd right. like, leave this at this part of the story you're like damn Kendrick's fucked up man <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't dealt with all this stuff or he's dealing with it sonically. he's dealing with he's it, it. Like, he's in his uh rich guy problems phase and I'm glad to see he's kind of leaning into it in the same way that Jay-Z did you know what I mean like after a while Jay-Z was like ah it's about my fucking marriage are you kind of making but, a 444 reference a little bit. It's but hard just, not to think about that when you listen yeah, to this, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. a rich guy with a complicated life um, who who has kind of a street background, but it's it's the furthest he is from Good Kid, Mad City is on this record. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? And kind of like the legend of K Dot and who he was. Now it's it's kind of this. Uh, you know, he's arrived and. Can you continue to make interesting music once you've arrived? If you're Eminem, no, you can't. Like it just, <laughs> it left, it left his body. But it, I will say this, and I, I do have, a, I do have quibbles, but I will say that um, I would put this record. Um, I think I'll go back to it more than I do to Pimple Butterfly. To be honest, mm. Um, mm. Uh, I think he. This is what I will say. And I wasn't a huge fan of to Pimple Butterfly, but I think. He is getting more uh, adept at making a concept record. Like this one to me, the concepts felt more tangible and easier to follow than onto Pimple Butterfly. And I'm like, he's kind of stepped up his, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, his overall narrative game. Um, and this would be an interesting last record. I don't buy it though. Yeah, I think, totally. uh, I think he's, I think he's got, he's definitely got more things to say. And I think this is like a start of a new chapter again in the kind of Jay-Z reference of like, once he turned the corner and it wasn't about a brick all the time, it started just being about his life. Um, and Kendrick is kind of showing that he can be entertaining in that way, even if it is, it was a lot. Yeah. I think that's the point of it though. I mean, again. Yeah. I just find myself not wanting to listen to it. Like, yeah. Then I haven't really had that. Uh, be the case with any of his other records and partly mm. maybe it's me just needing to like clear my headspace and not really deal with other people's big trauma right now like <laughs> right. this is not something that's really on my mind where I'm like oh let me help Kendrick figure out his deal you know it's just <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah. just, it's just it's not like what I want to be listening to and it's I'm we've kind of avoided this up to this point and I am going to bring it into the conversation like I'm not saying it's a binary and I'm not saying it's the only two records that matter, but I am listening to the Quillay Chris album that came out on the same day. Way All more kinds. Than All kinds. Way more. Mm. So, I mean, I do think Death Fame is a better record for what it's worth. Oh, like, it's okay. a totally mm. different kind of record, but it gives us some levity. It gives, it's dealing with big issues as well. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it, coming at them from a totally different point of view um but uh, oh, that's, it, that's just speaking to the kind of thing that i want to be listening to right now and the kendrick thing i basically have to be like assigned <laughs> yeah it felt, it felt like work and it's i mean that's you didn't say that at the top but i do feel part of the reason we didn't talk about it is because like it's work 
Like yeah. you actually have to have some uh, some thought out takes and reasonings because uh, he is such an important artist. And uh, I was having this conversation with Dave um, uh, on a Mama I Not Sober night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was talking about like the danger for Kendrick. To me, the danger for Kendrick is to become so uh, introspective and so self-important that you start to have like a Bono vibe. Like right. you're so fucking important. Right. He has he of all the rappers, he has strong bottle potential. That you know is I mean? so He's funny. If Kendrick starts wearing large. sunglasses inside, we gotta tell him, dude. Yeah, we gonna have to come come rescue him. Um, and that's kind of to me is it would be my main critique of this record. And I love the death fame analogy because uh, rap has progressed to where you could tell complicated human narratives. Quelly Chris does it um, excellently on death fame and i feel like kendrick lamar part of his rubric is he's graded against um people who are not on a quality chris level it's like true. you know what i mean he's graded mm-hmm. against rappers who have very limited subject matter so when he says anything it's kind of like oh my god this is incredible and it's like it is also navy blue is here also quality chris is here i mean there's other voices and ways to express a range of emotions um uh, but of course, not at the level that Kendrick's doing it. Um, yeah, I just, I just hope that he's able to somehow navigate being the biggest fucking rapper in the world and not get into kind of a weird. Um, he has a song called Savior, where he's kind of like trying to take himself down a notch. Which I, yeah, you no, know, survivor's remorse is a serious thing, and being the one sure. successful person in your life, I'm sure, is very, it. It must really fuck people Perfect. up. Like mm-hmm. I've had this thought a lot. Watch, and I feel like we've made this analogy quite a few times. It's kind of like emerging as like a theme of our season or our year so far is like rappers and boxers or fighters we talked Mm -hmm. about this a lot Mm -hmm. with juice like if you think about Mm -hmm. that in terms of kendrick it's like it's kind of like he has this insane skill that he can take anywhere and i think on this one he wants people to be like but i'm still like kenny from the block for like lack of a better term Mm. like i have my own problems and it's it's just hard to um uh sympathize with a rich man's problems kind of you know what i mean like there, there's a point where everybody's like cool cool but you know you can afford therapy you can right, just you know what I mean? mcduck like, through those uh publishing checks and we'll, we'll be over here you know what i mean yeah um, and i don't quite feel the same way as with the jay-z he's not as um he's both not as rich and not as into putting the richness in your face it's right. different i don't know if you guys remember this story i think about this when i think about kendrick a lot I think it was around the time of maybe Good Kid, Mad City, or maybe a little bit before that, when his uh, sister graduated from high school or college or something, he gave her a Corolla. Yeah, yeah, I remember I that. thought it was weird. They're like, why yeah. wouldn't you give her like a Lamborghini or a Bentley or whatever? Mm-hmm. You're a rapper. And he's like, I'm not that kind of rapper. Like a Corolla is right. a perfect car for her, like in the yeah. neighborhood she lives in and with the very sensible she needs to accomplish yeah. and like he famously did not like move to Calabasas like yeah I'm sure he has a bitter, bigger better situation now but when he first got what we call like rapper Pond. rich he yeah. didn't he wasn't ostentatious about it mm. and I think we all make assumptions about people's bank accounts by their you know level of fame and he's you know come up in a time where records don't sell and he doesn't tour a ton so I actually don't know what his financial situation is but I think it's very good that he has put this narrative about him going to therapy and trying to process things in front of all these millions of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that said, yeah. for the last time, I kind of don't want to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's a challenging yeah. album, man. It's yeah, a challenging it is. It's album, a challenging you know? album, and I'm not sure I'm really in the headspace to like yeah. really deal with his shit right now. I hear so that. I hear that. It's just kind of like let's just see what else is kind of floating through the universe. And I, yeah, so I don't know where I could put it in his discography, but it, not not that high. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he wow. has a very very he has he has a hit riddled discography. He has no, oh, he really does. Oh, he really sure. does. And I think um, the the thing that I kind of miss a little bit is is that sensibility. I, I been complaining about there's no bops but when i listened to it this last time before we hopped on i said maybe there are bops but the definition of a bop for him at this level right. is just so different you know what i mean it's like oh he's on a track with summer walker great right. like, but, w- but when you heard humble you didn't need to think about it no i didn't right I didn't. right yeah when or, you heard king kunta you didn't need to think about it yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was it was kind of automatic and there's still a part of me um i think he's an amazing songwriter 
uh, he can be very potent and descriptive and making it like a cool ass little song. And so I just hope that never gets lost. It's part of the reason that Jay-Z can still be interesting and cool is like, he'll give you introspective shit, but he'll just do like a little song. Like have fun on a fucking song once in a while. Uh, so we'll see, but the I'm interested. is amazing on this. I, I have no criticisms of any of the rapping. It's more about the subject matter and the overarching kind of thing of it. And again, if that's what he wants to do and he took five years to do it, that's, I completely understand. He has every right to do it. If you listen to each verse and the way it's constructed, <clears throat> he still raps better than most people. Alive. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, totally. It's yeah, totally top tier. So, uh, let's, let's render, let's render verdicts and be held to them, uh, for time immemorial, uh, Dave, Mr. Morale, and the Big Steppers. Yeah, meh, nah. Definite, yeah. One of the best yeah. albums of the year. And I think okay. it's gonna, it's, people are going to look back on it and, and, um, and think the same. Okay. Okay, Nate? Uh, I have to give it a meh. And meh is not the right term. It's very interesting. It's not boring. I just, I just don't see myself going back to it a lot. I think I could come up with 25 records that meant more to me this year by the time december rolls around very easily i'm not sure if it'll if it'll be in that conversation for me but we'll see what happens yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna be slightly more pessimistic than you um i tuck this one behind to pepper butterfly and say i love when artists branch out and explore their creative potential it doesn't mean i have to listen to it <laughs> um so that's true, that's true though so uh, um Kendrick is a, is a top tier artist doing top tier things lyrically. And I think Dave, you made a great point when we were um, boozing and chatting about this record is um, for some folks, this is going to be an entry point. You right. know what I mean? And that I love, right. I love that that exists. Right. Mm -hmm. Imagine being a 16 year old who just discovered Kendrick through this. My I don't have point. to imagine it. It's, uh, it's <laughs> right, happening right, in, my, in right? my family. And he didn't discover Kendrick. He liked damn as well, but yeah. to him, this is like an earth shattering, like master. Totally. So it's interesting. Yeah. But he's also never listened to Supreme Clientele, which is <laughs> what his uncle told him should be his next homework assignment, right? Right. So I was like, oh, you should listen to Portishead and you should listen to Supreme Clientele. If you're liking this, see why yeah. Kendrick mm -hmm. chose these things, and that's yeah. how you become a well-rounded music listener, right? And, yes. and in that sense, we have to we have to say thanks, Kendrick. Like there's there's a lot of cheesier ways. I mean, one of his corollaries, um, J. Cole chooses to do much cheesier things with the platform and the attention span of of uh, new rap listeners. So from that perspective, I'll give it up, you know, cool, cool, man. Cool, <laughs> yeah. cool ranch. I'll give it cool ranch. Give it cool ranch, no Dorito. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a meh. I think that, that averages out to a meh. You know how the, the pitchfork editors have to decide what the number is based uh -huh. on the words below? And sometimes they seem to have no corollary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that a meh. Okay, okay. Uh, so there you have it. That was our review of Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. We appreciate your time, energy, and attention. But it only highlights the fact that as an artist in this day and age, releasing music is such a, a weird, um, I was going to call it a science, but it's not even that. It's, it, it's some kind of artistry mixed with random luck, or at least that's what I thought until we talked to our next guest. Uh, icon the Mike King who you may have heard of before uh, for his MC exploits and he does have a new record out but in this interview which he should have charged us for and we should charge you <laughs> but we're not going to uh, he drops a lot of game about um, the, the new approach to releasing records and kind of how he does it super fascinating I'm not going to step on it anymore let's cut to our interview with Icon the Mike King, Dad Bod, Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have Mike King 
formerly Icon, the Mike King. How's it going, man? Chilling, man. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Dope, dope. So I'm going to start off with a somewhat personal question. Uh, my name is Damone. My rap name is Dim One. Is your government name Michael King? It is. It Damn. is. Yeah, and the Damn. funny thing is, funny thing is, when I first started rapping, it didn't even immediately dawn on me, like, hey, your name is Mike King. Because, you know, like, you don't want to use your real name. Like, exactly. The only real name rappers when I was young was, like, Eric Sermon and, and, and Keith Murray. And Murray, they were right. cool and all that. But I was like, yo, I want to be, like, Method Man. I got to have, like, a superhero <laughs> yeah. name. And um, the icon, it actually came from, uh, there's a, a, a series of comic books, Milestone Comics, which was, like, all, it was, like, a Black-owned uh, uh, comic universe. And their black Superman was called Icon. And I was like, yep, that's my name right there. <laughs> uh, I see, I see. But but uh, like all things, I think real nicknames kind of just stick to you. Yeah. Um, and so at what point were you like, ah, oh, fuck it, I just got to be my king. Like, I got I to gotta incorporate that. Yeah, um, I mean, it was probably like a year or two after I came up with the Icon thing. And I was like, yo, your name is Mike King. Why don't you just be Icon the Mike King? And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do that, right? And, um, you know, like early when I first started like popping up on the indie rap scene, uh, you know, there was another guy who went by Icon and then people would be like, why don't you just call yourself Mike King? And, you know, just to be defiant, I was like, I'm not changing my name. Who are you to tell me what my name should be? But then, you know, as I got older, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm too old to have a superhero rap name. Like, let's just use my <laughs> own name. <laughs> I like how you made room, though. I think you should counsel rappers who are using Lil into, into be like, say, make some room for a transition into, into another phase. Um, talk to us about kind of what made you want to start rapping. Yeah, so <clears throat> I very much have like a Fresh Prince of Bel Air's like origin story. Um, you know, I, I'm originally from Philly. When I went to high school, my parents moved me out of Philly uh, to Connecticut to go to like a private school. And, you know, I just wanted to do things to, to make me feel connected to Philly still. And so I started out doing graffiti and breakdancing, and then I got into rhyming, and then I got into DJing too. And at a certain point, I felt like I could only be like really great at one of those things. And then ultimately, I felt like rhyming was, you know, my, my favorite of those things. And really, I brought up Method Man before, but like it was literally Takao that made me think I could rap. And, you know, I just started freestyling and, you know, I got good at it. Then eventually I became a writer. And then eventually, you know, I ended up surrounding myself with other rappers and, you know, being like, all right, well, y'all are better than me. I got to level up here and just kept going like that until I started releasing records. I was listening to some of your stuff today as prep and um, I, I noticed like you're pretty fast. Like then there was a, like, do you consider yourself to be a fast rapper or is your thing like what do, what do you consider your like? style to be I guess I'll let me ask you rather than tell you what I think yeah I mean uh <clears throat> I would say that I was faster before you know this is actually slower for me like I, I think the music I'm making now is like I have far more control over what's happening because before I just had so much to say I had so many bars I wanted to get out I wanted to be so impressive and so my bars were like super full now the newer records like I'm, I'm playing with pauses a lot more like using a lot more negative space in there and um things like that so i think you know I've, I've really gotten to a point where um you know i very much know what i'm doing what my voice sounds good with uh how to like have a flow that isn't overpowering the beat and you know just kind of having like a good mashup between what i'm doing and what the music is doing yeah, a great answer. Thank you. Um, you. You mentioned earlier you had kind of like uh, gotten with some other MCs and that kind of forced you to level up. Can you talk a little bit about your peer group? Like who, who were you talking about when you said that? Yeah. So, you know, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chesky Ramos, but he and I went to school, high school together. We, we've been like friends since we were like 14 and um, <clears throat> no one else in our school rapped. And so 
he he was just doing like rock music at the time and he's the first one to bring me to the studio but at some point I was like yo you should rap and so <clears throat> I kind of got him in the rhyme and he'll he'll tell you this too he'll be like yeah Mike taught me how to rap or whatever but um it wasn't until we both went away to college that we both like really grew into you know the the prototypes of the rappers that we became and so for me I went to Howard University and there's no shortage of rappers at Howard. In fact, um, you know, we had like a, a school sponsored battle called Verbal Armageddon. And like, I'm walking up in there like, yeah, I'm the best rapper. Duh, 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 duh. And, you know, we have like this whole audition thing. And so it's like 30 rappers in the whole thing. And I was ranked number 14. I was like, what? <laughs> How dare you, right? And, um, you know, that year I battled my guy Perfecto, who ultimately ends up winning the whole thing. And Howard Homecoming is like a legendary thing, like an event. And they had the second round of the battle at Yard Fest at Homecoming, which is like the main event. And so, um, you know, the battle was like sandwiched between performances by like Breeze Everflowing and Sea Rays and Most Deaf and Feral Munch because this is like when Internal Affairs and Black on Both Sides dropped and everything and I'm like damn I'm like yeah I'm gonna kill this dude yo I got murdered like <laughs> the worst battle loss I've ever experienced and at that moment I was like all right I gotta I gotta level it up and so really it was largely you know just the, being around a community of rappers that could actually rap and I was like, yo, I got to next year, like, I got to come back and just be on some other shit. And so the next year I came in and I was I was ranked third because both the champ and the runner up were automatically one and two. And then I won that year. So, like, that's what I'm saying. I just needed to be around other rappers and um, have like a measuring stick because I, I, I was a dude that was like freestyling at all times like it was it was annoying mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i just like always <laughs> wanted to rhyme uh big of you that you can admit that now yeah, of course, of we, we've all like, been around that dude <laughs> like i just in the club over the, the music in your ear yes yeah like i was walking around with a boom box so like if i wasn't rapping over some beats from like you know no from cunning linguists or somebody like that i was bumping like labor days by asap or bumping like internal affairs or whatever right and you know i just needed to be in a community of rappers where i could like continually be rapping with people and you know just just having more of a uh feedback loop and so ultimately just doing it at howard wasn't enough for me so i ended up you know coming to new york regularly like battling there meeting a lot of people like, you know, Tone Deaf and PH, Rest in Peace, and, you know, all those types of people. And I, I just got involved in the battle scene that way. So, um, yeah, I mean, you asked me about contemporaries, but, you know, again, it was a lot of the people I went to school with at Howard, and then it was a lot of like the, the New York City underground, like Mini Styles, goes by I Am Mini now. Um, you know, I, I battled Jen like 14 times, you know, like <laughs> I was, I was very ingrained in that. And then, um, there was something called brainstorm out in Seattle. It was like the first battle with like a $3,000 prize. And so I flew out there for that. I got second place and, you know, I just made a lot of friends along the way. Cause, um, also, you know, while I was at Howard, uh, one of my friends at Howard, his name is Amal, he actually grew up with Slug. And so he was the one that was like putting us on to like Atmosphere Records and Aesop and all this. And then, you know, uh, Atmosphere had a show in, in uh, University of Maryland. So I meet them. And then they were out there at Brainstorm. So it was real cool to me. So it was just like a really organic thing that just grew out of me wanting to be, you know, the best rapper I could. Yeah, I could, I could definitely, having known you for all of 12 minutes, I could tell that you're like super competitive. Like I can, oh, yeah. I, I get, I get that vibe, yeah. um, which is, it's a, which is a common trait amongst like the battle MC crowd. Mm -hmm. So how did you kind of make that transition? Not all the, not all the battle rappers can then go on to release a stream of like recorded music 
that is also entertaining. I'll just say that being nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. how, how did you make that transition? And was that like a conscious thing? We talked to Wordsworth a couple couple weeks ago, and he was like, there was a point in my career where I stopped trying to bar out and I started trying to write songs. I'm paraphrasing. But how was that transition for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it it was actually easier than most because I started from making songs. Like I had to figure out how to make the way I rap work for battling, you know what I mean? So like it was it wasn't that hard to unravel, but at the same time, you know, like that that uh will to impress people with bars is still there just kind of in a different way. Like I still got punchlines in my rhymes and all that, but you know, it's more like, how do I tell a cohesive story? Like, I'm typically not just gonna, like you just said, like, bar out for no reason. There has to be at least some sort of, like, overarching concept to it. So as an example, on Iconic, I have this song called Rainmaker, and it's effectively, like, a punchline song about being good at sales, you know what I mean? And, like, I'm flipping all these all those like corny phrases that people say in business, like, you know, circle back and 10,000 foot view and all that bullshit. I'm like, all right, well, how can I make this dope? Like as a, as a verse. So there has to be some aspect of it that, you know, even if you don't listen to rap to catch the double entendres or anything like that, it still has to be an enjoyable, interesting song. And so, you know, I've, I've always tried to, maintain that uh balance of being you know both like interesting i don't want to say catchy but like you know it, it tells some sort of cohesive story to it even if it's just like talking about how dope i am right on um this sounds weird to say out loud but i think you will accept the compliment in the spirit that it's given you have the best rapper website i've ever seen like your <laughs> your website is so much better than the other ones we look at when we're just poking around for this stuff um so Thank props you. for that Thank but you. Uh, you, there's a section on it called manifesto and you know i had to click that um it it appears i i honestly couldn't tell so please tell me you're sort of saying you're the best rapper ever. And then you're like, we're searching for the best rapper ever. Like talk to us, talk to me about sure. this concept and what, what are you, what are you doing with this? Sounds super interesting. Yeah. So the website that we're building is called bestrapperever.com. And um, what I'm trying to build is something that's kind of like 538 meets like complex. And the idea is that I want to quantify what it means to be the best rapper ever. So yes, I do feel as though I'm the best rapper ever because I do what I like better than anyone else. And I've never understood when there's other rappers that like take offense to that or you know don't feel the same way. Like if someone else does what you like better than you do, why do you rap? I don't understand. Like, why are you taking up this space? Um, but yeah, ultimately we're just trying to use like data science to uh, really dig into the different features of what a good rapper and good rap is so we can like you know plug a bunch of data in and say okay you know new drake album dropped is he still the best you know if if you feel he's the best and i think that there needs to be multiple levels or multiple ways you look at it because you know you can look at it like okay who's the best based on lyrical content Who's the best based on flow? Who's the best based on, you know, different like commercial measures? Because mm. of course you're going to look at like how Jay-Z does, how Drake does different than how Aesop Rock does mm. and how, you know, Graph does or someone like that. And so I, I just want to get to a point where we can quantify that by using things like, you know, streams, um, uh, you know, how, how often or how much of, your song is actually listened to, uh, the, the composition of your lyrics based on like natural language processing things. So just a variety of different components. There, were, there was a really cool, um, you know, uh, data journalism piece that I saw a few years back. It was like, who has the largest vocabulary in hip hop? And then there was another that website, component. The Pudding does that. Yeah, and they've, they've done a couple of different cool. iterations of it. That we're super right. into that. Yeah, exactly. And then Very there's another one in there where they talk about based on uh, similarity of lyrics, who is most similar to other rappers. So like, for instance, if you go to that and you click on cannabis, it says the most similar rappers, Eminem. 
neither one of them want to hear that. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and we and don't want to hear either one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it all works. <laughs> so I think there's just some really interesting things that we can uncover using data. And, you know, at, at the very least, we at least come up with some cool stories around that. Nice. All right, yeah, all I, right. I don't know if you're sorry, Duone, just one last thing. Um, like the, the uh, people will do lyrical breakdowns where they show where the internal and external rhymes are and they kind of code yep, the code rhymes code. in those. Are those, Is that kind of heading in the direction that you're talking about too? So that's something that I want to do as well. Like I, I really like the idea of rappers inter- interviewing other rappers about their technique. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw a guy, I think his name was Reggie or something like that, where he interviewed Royce and he was like showing them screen shares of like, here's your rhymes color coded. And you know, someone that raps like Royce, like he has to obviously be super aware of what he's doing. Like you can't do that by accident the way that right. he does it. So it's really cool to see how other people think about it. Right. Cause like there was this interview that Elzai did that I saw once where he was, he, he has that verse where he's like, here's how you rap, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. Cause he's like, whatever you seen it. Um, but he's like, yeah, I got letter boxes. I got typewriters. I got da, da, da. like, cause they, in, in, in Detroit, they got all this, you know, terminology for how you do this shit. Cause like everyone out there compounds, that's what I call it. Like the syllable shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, yo, what's a letter box? Like what, like yeah. what do you mean by that? And then, you know, to hear him further explain it, um, the way he defines certain things i'm like because he's like yeah that's a two pattern and i'm like no that's not like you know what i'm saying so <laughs> there's no there's no common yeah. lexicon about how yep. you talk about these things yep so i think it would be really cool as part of what we do that we like come up with the definitions and like that becomes how we talk about these things. that that's super fascinating it reminds me of like madden rating and mm-hmm. how uh, and how players get all in a bunch uh, about their Madden rating. So I'm gonna I'm gonna offer up. We got three people here who know a lot about rap and are well versed in the West Coast styles. My only concern about a thing like that mm-hmm. is that uh, rap traditionally has a great uh, East Coast chauvinism in the sense that when you say what is flow, uh-huh. right, right, there are some uh, who would say uh, that flow has a particular definition that I would go, uh, that's, that's an East coast version of what flow is. And so, um, fascinated by this project. Uh, and I, I, I hope to see some of its fruits and, you know, you got our emails. Um, so (laughs) I think, I think you have a great point. I don't want to stop you from moving on to your next point because I know we've got limited time. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. But, um, I actually agree with you because, you know, there's a lot of things, especially that came from the West Coast. Like when you think about your freestyle fellowships and mm-hmm. your project blowed and so on, like those people always had very interesting, intricate flows. Like they were rapping in triple time before it was cool. You know what I mean? Like th- there's, there's so many different things that I don't think have been respected enough mm. for the contribution. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, we can go obviously as far back as again, like freestyle fellowship and everything, but then also look at like the later generations, like the no can do's or excuse me, mm-hmm. all city jimmies yeah. <laughs> of the world and, you know, dumbfound dad, like all those guys mm-hmm. that came up and then, you know, were able to combine that with like really raw lyrics, you know what I'm saying? And that's not to say that the, the old head West coast dudes didn't have great lyrics, but like they weren't doing what what no can do is doing you know what i'm saying and so i think that that there's a huge i mean they're getting more love now but like i feel like like you said there is a big east coast bias and in this project we're trying to like eliminate that by making it very data driven yeah one last thing uh if if you're thinking about your model i want to make sure that it's not just oh you know this is my opinion obviously um it's not just rewarding the most flows the most lyrics right like i think about a ka or a rock marciano like Mm -hmm. that kind of like understated talk rapping style is also extremely innovative and how do how do you account statistically for the like perfection of a ka verse 
You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. he would rank pretty low in a numerical system, but it, for listenability, you, it's like, you're like, yeah, but it was perfect. Like the 16 he did was a, a diamond. You know what I mean? No, I agree with that. And I think that for this to work, we can't just look at it quantitatively. There has to be some sort of qualitative measures too. So I suspect what we're going to have to do is like develop a, a panel of people like y'all that are uh, that are basically like you know the feedback loop because yeah we could we could run you know like some cannabis bars from like post 97 cannabis bars that are like on paper this sounds cool but like right. yeah when you listen to it like i don't want to hear your rap dissertation fam you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's no disrespect to cannabis because you know he he's he was one of my favorites growing up um but yeah i, I think there needs to be a qualitative element of it in order to you know make it really work yeah yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, super interesting work that you're doing i I, th- I think that's fascinating and what it what it's come to mind to me several times is uh cool modi's rap report card that yes. went viral mm-hmm. uh, yeah. again a couple months ago those of us who follow ego trip closely knew about it before and just from mm-hmm. listening to cool modi but uh to see it go back go out again and see how he um he did the categories and where people ranked. It's like, essentially, that's what you're kind of doing. And it's trying to assign numerical value to something inherently subjective, exactly. which it has its Great. Uh, its things. But um, yeah, man, what if uh, you became the Nate Silver of... <laughs> of <laughs> rap, rap, rap game Nate Silver. Rap surveying. That would be very interesting. An interesting way to take this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> well, on, on that tip, I want to... Um, I wanted to ask you, we talked about your website. Um, I, I love this idea, the greatest rapper ever. Um, you're, you have an approach to marketing and selling yourself and your product that does actually kind of set you apart for most rappers. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of how that's helped you um, sustain in, in the indie rap space? Yeah. So, you know, just to give a little more context on that, I've, I hadn't put out a record in 12 years because I kind of stepped into this marketing world and, and like I was doing all the same things I was doing in rap, but they were working and people <laughs> were paying me for them. And so, you know, eight years ago, I started my own marketing agency. Um, we primarily do SEO and or excuse me, search engine optimization and uh, content marketing and machine learning projects. And so as I've come back to this, you know, there's just a lot I've learned from that world that I'm just applying to um, what I do in indie rap. And so the thing is that we're living in this like grand convergence, right? Like everything is digital now. Everything is the internet now, like the music industry, the internet, the film industry, you know, like everything is here. And so what people do in those different worlds are the same thing I do for my clients. And it's like, all right, well, I'm not interested in signing to a record label because one of the major record labels is one of my clients and I get to see what it is that they do. So we can just replicate that for me. You see what I'm saying? And so, you know, I also know from the type of marketing that I do for a lot of these businesses, like what works, what doesn't, how to think about things. And so as I've like surveyed the marketplace coming back into here and then watching like what this is all about, you know, it's largely about how do I look like people care about what I'm doing, even if they don't actually look like care about what I'm doing, right? Like, so how do I make it look like I'm getting millions of streams? How do I make it look like, you know, people are following me when like, it's all bots. Like, so I'm like, all right, let's not do that. Cause I've, I've played around and I've tested some of that. Cause like, that that's like you know get those spikes to short-lived and then you still have no fans like why are you doing that you got ten thousand followers and two likes exactly exactly (laughs) and so rather than doing that why don't you take an actual marketing approach where you're building effectively like a marketing funnel so like right now i have a brand awareness problem how do we solve that advertising and PR and things like that, you know? So, you know, we're, we're running all the ads. We're going to do like the Times Square billboard and all that. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing. So I say that, that sounds impressive. Like, oh my God, he's going to have a Times Square billboard. What people don't know is you can book that for an hour for 500 bucks, get your picture, put it on Instagram. Now you look super official. That explains a lot about some about. pictures that I've man, seen in the last man, year. <laughs> you just told a lot right there. Yeah. Wow. That's what I'm saying. So, what I'm trying to do is like, all right, instead of just faking it, why don't we like 
build this whole process out where it's like, cool, let's put, let's put the right things in front of the right people that this will resonate with. And then, you know, turn those people into <clears throat> followers, turn them into subscribers uh, to the mailing list, and then just keep hitting them with content. <clears throat> because that's what people keep telling you in music. They're like, yo, you got to put out a song, you know, keep putting out songs, keep putting out songs. You don't have to do that. You have to keep putting out content. So how do you turn that one song into 10 pieces of content and then roll those out over time so it's not the heavy burden on you to have to put out a song every week? Like, I can't do that. You know what I mean? It's been, it's been 12 years since I put out an EP. Like, I can't put out all that stuff. So, you know, what I would rather do is just like roll out this content more effectively and then use that to build the audience. So, you know, I've got this EP, it's nine songs. I got a video for every song. We're slicing and dicing the content in a variety of different ways. Like, you know, for Instagram, every video, I give snippets, like eight bar snippets of the video, drop that over time. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I have a song called Build, which largely talks about my, my journey as an entrepreneur. And so on the back of that, what I'm doing is I'm just doing these like short videos with other entrepreneurs and I'm asking them three questions. I'm like, yo, what are you building? Uh, what did you wish you know you knew before you started? And then what's a bar in my song that resonated with you mm. in your experience? So now I have 70 videos that I can chop up in 50 different ways from the one song that promotes the song. And so my whole point here is that it doesn't have to be as difficult as people are making it sound. You've just got to use everything as an asset. And then the other two other points I want to make. My apologies yeah, for being long. No, please, please. going. Um, one thing is that the way that we release music doesn't really make sense anymore. Because everyone is like, okay, drop it on Friday. First of all, why are you going to drop it on Friday when everybody's dropping on Friday? That's not smart. Right. Um, secondly, you know, we're still in this mindset like, okay, you got to get it done three months in advance and then turn it into this person and da-da-da. No, you don't have to do that because one, if you have a fan base that really wants it right away, they'll take it in whatever form it, it's in. Hmm. And so with my EP, we actually released it. Uh, I, my goal was to release something I was proud of before I turned 40. And I literally dropped it on the night before my birthday at 1159 PM. <laughs> and so we put it on Bandcamp. None of the features were done. I was just like, yo, this is a, a this is a fine record the way it is. It's, it's my minimum viable product to speak in like, you know, um, software terminology. And then what I did is I, I just kept updating it. So what that did was create more opportunities for people to want to check it out again. And then once it was complete, complete, now it's on all the DSPs. And now we're doing like a formal rollout. But I basically was able to build, you know, some momentum going into it by exposing people to it early and then, you know, kind of like having a built-in fan base for it. And then the last point I want to make is that we still think about things as though the release, like the release time period is the only time to promote something. That actually doesn't make any sense because your, your music is available to everybody in the world at all times. They're not all going to discover it at once. And when they Especially do not discover if you drop it, it on Friday. Exactly. <laughs> And, and when they do discover it, it's going to be new to them. So it doesn't matter if it's been out for two years and they just found it. So keep promoting it like it's brand new. You know what I mean? Like we always talk about how do you build your social media calendars and all of that. Cool. Everything that you use for that, that first record, keep putting that in the queue when you're promoting the second record. Because the people that discover you off the second record are going to be interested in all the other stuff in your catalog. So stop thinking about it like, oh, this release is out, it's done, that promotion is over. Just keep promoting it forever because you're going to continue to get value out of it. Oh, we have to end the interview now. I have 215 old podcasts to market. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, uh, such a pleasure to yeah, talk to you. We usually we learn a lot about hip hop on these things. We don't usually learn that much about marketing. Uh, <laughs> super appreciate your viewpoint. Um, and like, let's not get it twisted. Like, you can really rap. Like, yeah, I listen yeah, to yeah. a lot of your music today, and you, I, you know, none of this would be as interesting to us if you weren't like a serious artist. So, you know, respect. I got bars. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I appreciate that.
Yeah, th- thanks so much for coming on. Um, you know, when whenever uh, when the best rapper ever gets uh, when you get your advisory board together. Uh, think, <laughs> I'll, I'll thank you, definitely. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, think about us, and uh, yeah, everybody, go check out the new uh, iconic EP uh, that is out right now. Best rapper ever on Bandcamp. Uh, Mike King, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. For anyone that hasn't checked out the records featuring Music Soul Child, Little Fame from MOP, and it's all bangers produced by my dude Trox. I appreciate everybody for taking the time to look at me. And uh, yeah, check it out. Right on. Thanks, man. All right, y'all. Appreciate it. Peace. Peace. That was our conversation with Icon the Mike King. Uh, Icon the Marketing King? (laughs) He was a spitting game, dude. That was our first interview that was more of a seminar um, than than a kind of rap interview. He's a nice guy. He's a cool guy. Um, Very interesting take. Um, I did listen to some of his music while we were doing research, and he can really rhyme, and it was cool to hear his stories about the olden days but it was like for for us it was like oh man you're right we like we really like we got to change the way we think about our content night oh, totally using totally. the term content but this was fully the kind of interview that was about content you know what i mean oh totally the, the whole time he was talking i was like oh oh yeah oh yeah and you know what yeah oh, oh that too yes yes yes, yeah. yes, yes. I mean, i'm not embarrassed to say like he said it as a bad idea but i was like if we go to new york i'm gonna buy a billboard thing in times square Square for 500 bucks and go stand underneath it and take a picture like oh if you guys see that we're doing that oh no that's happening (laughs) like that is actually happening Um, i I have a mental rolodex of uh rappers who have done that now that i understand what it is it's not as big of a deal but you know what it is a big deal deal. it's still a big deal because because here's the thing uh and one of my friend mentors shout out to jerry the hermit he would always go you're just painting pictures It it doesn't matter how real it is it, it's do people feel like it's real and i think um i think icon the mike king's approach to marketing and also the releasing of his music um it's really taking control of your own myth right and i think for underground MCs especially who a lot of times concentrate on being real um i think it's very interesting and refreshing to hear from his perspective um on on how to do this shit and how to paint pictures how to create uh your own mythology which he's he's definitely done um and just super cool cat to chat with so we we appreciate totally um it's super interesting to me that his name is mike king and it took him 25 years to figure out that he had a rap name just given oh, i don't think oh. i took the time to make this stupid joke but uh it always reminds me I've, I've probably said this on the podcast before forgive me early listeners uh gucci man's name is radrick davis and if he had been born like 20 years earlier he would have been like mc radrick oh oh totally totally radrick <laughs> i'm here for that i, I guess been like that's... a booty base you know that he was in miami yeah. you know yeah. it's just like yeah. hey, Atlanta. Rick, with, Rick with I, two I, K's. I get it yeah two K's. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I like uh, that he too struggled with just accepting that as a as as a name because rappers yeah. are hard headed that way. Um, but yeah, I want to thank him for coming on. Um, definitely going to keep an eye out for his uh, new material. Um, as you know, you can connect with us on Twitter at DadBodRapPod. You can connect with us on Instagram at DadBodRapPod. Which I need to do though. What y'all need to do. You remember that Cat Williams joke about the weed? Like, <laughs> this shit right here? <laughs> this shit right here? This Patreon shit? Uh, you guys. Is that where that comes from? Because I've heard people, like, say that and, like, reference that. So oh, yeah, times. yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a hilarious Cat Williams bit about uh, the weed man trying to, like, convince him this new shit is just killed. Okay. It's like, this shit is called death. Death. <laughs> uh, Cat Williams says it a lot better. Please Google it. But um, yeah, we, we've got the Patreon happening for just $5 a month. You get access to 
a bunch of wild ass content. Like it's just, it's, it's pouring out of us right now. Um, if you were to scribe, subscribe to Patreon today, you would have hours and hours of playlists that you could access. You would be able to get Nate's mix show, The Fly Sporadic. There's a new video Sorry, segment. Dude. I have been dying to tell you this. No, the. The Fly, the fly Sporadic. Fly Sporadic. Nate's mix show. Fly Sporadic. Fly Sporadic. Yeah. All right. I think it's like <laughs> Lucky. I think it's like Lucky's, right? It's actually Lucky, the store. Yes. But we call no, it Lucky's. No, yes. Millions of people know about Lucky's. Like 10 of us know about this. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just no, no the. It's also no the dad, dad bot rap bot, but that's a whole nother conversation. And it's all, it's four separate words. I just happen to care about things like this, you know. Sammy Semantics is back, y'all. Um, Fly Sporadic FFS. Uh, Nick's show is on there on our Patreon. It's $5 a month minimum you can do more if you want or you could subscribe to the whole year um and get 15 percent off which a lot of folks have been doing of late which we really appreciate um and also in that space uh we do a lot of interaction i post questions comments um i'm officially low-key too good for twitter now so uh, <laughs> i'll be connecting with folks more readily on the patreon um and yeah so it's it's a good time we invite you to tap in to that space um yeah you know you know what it is it's the dad bod rap pod Don't be high with the audio.